0: It's wonderful to be back here again with you. It's been a while since we were last here, but it's uh, in God's grace that we come and join you uh, today and over this week. I hope that as uh, you know, there's been the many different opportunities for you to get to meet some of these missionaries. And these aren't all the missionaries that you support. These are just some of them. I hope you have taken the time to, you know, get to know them and get to hear their stories As they came up and they told us their name and told us where they are serving, each one of these people who stood before us have tons of stories of God's grace and God's miracles and God showing up in different parts of the world and doing amazing things. And there couldn't be enough time in a service like this to give them opportunity to really talk about the things that excite them about what they're doing and where they are, what they face every day, the challenges they face. And I know that if they had the opportunity, they really, really, really would like to say thank you so much for what you have made possible in big and in small ways. And you may not get to hear the stories until we get to heaven, and then time will not be a challenge because there is no time there. So I can tell you my story from beginning to end, and uh, there'll be enough time that we can do that. But please continue to do that. In these days when it doesn't seem to be fashionable for us to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, to be Christians, to be open about it, it's easy for us to begin to think that God is no longer visible and present. And yet, He is at work. And He is doing amazing things. And for those of you who still have an opportunity to spend time with these missionaries before they leave town and go back or wherever... Please take them out for lunch or dinner and just, you know, get to hear their stories. You cannot know how therapeutic and how exciting it is for them to be able to tell some of those things. And sometimes what happens when missionaries come back to town is nobody has time. Everybody's busy running, shopping, doing all the hundreds of things that they normally do. And nobody has time to sit and, and, and hear about God's grace in other parts of the world. So please don't let that opportunity overtake you. And thank you, Piers, for making it possible in various ways through the course of this week to uh, meet up with and to get to know the missionaries who are with us. Now, I, you know, have come back after a couple of years for the last uh, 30 years. I've been a pastor at the Nairobi Chapel. We started with just about 10 to 20 people. And now it's grown into a big movement of churches. There are about 200 churches, 220 churches that have been planted out of the chapel today, out of this one little Plymouth Brethren Church that was, you know, sort of on the verge of shutting its doors and closing up. And over the last 30 years, God has done some amazing things, and um, I've been there for 30 years, and so a year ago, they decided, you know, you're becoming old and decrepit, and so we're going to put you out to pasture, and uh, you know, we want you to now stop being the senior pastor of the church, and would like you to become the one responsible to oversee the continuing work of caring for the leaders, the pastors, the church plants, the work we're doing in other parts of Africa, and And now in uh, Sydney and in London and uh, in San Francisco, we're just about to plant a church there in Toronto and in other parts of the world, wanted to be in charge of that. And they made me a bishop. Can you imagine? I'm a whole bishop. (laughs) The best thing about being a bishop is nobody knows what a bishop is supposed to do, so... (laughs) I get to come and visit you and enjoy, you know, your, your place here and go to other parts of the world and visit our missionaries in New Zealand. We have about 10 missionaries in New Zealand, a couple in Australia, a couple in Europe and other parts of the world, all over Africa, and it's just been amazing to see what God is doing. But you know, as I've gone around and seen different parts of the world, there's a message I want to bring to you, Okay. I want to begin by reading Galatians chapter two, verse twenty. You know this passage, and uh, this is in the in the uh, NIV, the New Living, sorry, the New International Version, where Paul writes and says, "I have been crucified; I have been put to death with Christ on His cross. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the One who died for me." or rather, who loved me and gave his life for me. We know this passage. So let me begin with this thought. You know what the problem is with the church today? The problem with the church today is that there are too many Christians in the church, but far too few disciples. You know, there are Christians from all sorts of backgrounds in the church. There are Christians in the church because they were brought up Christian. They have always gone to the church. This is the only life they know. Their parents were Christians and so they are Christians. There are Christians in the church because, you know, they, their mother told them, you must always go to church on Sunday. You cannot be found anywhere else on Sunday morning. And they've done it all their life and they're doing it and so they're Christians. They are Christians who prayed the prayer of salvation, but there was no difference and no transformation in their life at all since they prayed that prayer. But they are Christians because they prayed that prayer. There are Christians who are in church because they were told by their father or their mother, if you want a good wife, go find one in the church. That's where the best women are found. Or if you want a good man, go to the church and find one there. And so they're in church and they're Christians. There are Christians like my good friend, I have a friend in, in you know, in the Nairobi chapel called Wadex, and, and I told Wadex once, why is it Wadex that every time, you know, we pray over people and bless people, you're one of the first people who stand up to be prayed for. And every time we make an altar call, doesn't matter what the altar call is, you're always one of the first people who come to the front. And, and he told me, you know, Pastor, if there are blessings being given, I will be there. I want my blessing. And I have found out that when I, you know, come to church on a regular basis and I receive these blessings from God, that week my, my, my work goes well. He owns a business. My business runs well. But when I skip church, then my business doesn't run well that week and it's not a good business week. And I thought, oh no, you know, you're here because of what you get from God. For as long as he's giving out goodies, you're a Christian and you want to be in church because you want those blessings. Far too many Christians in the church, but not enough disciples. Did somebody ask, so what's the difference between the two? Thank you for asking. Let me tell you what the difference is. <laughs> the difference between a Christian and a disciple is this. There's an anecdotal story that is told about a church in China. And you know that the church in China for a long, long time, has been persecuted, suffering. It's called the underground church because they don't meet openly because of persecution. They'll be taken in by the authorities. They will be put into jail. And so they, 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 they meet quietly. And in this little church of about 50 people, even gathering together on a Sunday like today, they would come over a spread of about three hours, arriving at different times so that nobody would notice that people are gathering one at a time, going into their little hole. And then maybe another 15 minutes later, somebody else walks in and they would come in so that they are not visible. And when they would worship God, they couldn't have a you know, full orchestra like this with instruments and they couldn't sing their hearts out loudly. They would whisper their worship to God so that they are not discovered. And when the pastor would preach, he would speak in a low tone so that his voice would not carry beyond the doors and the windows of the little place where they gathered. And one day when they were gathered together in worship, In came in through the back door, four, you know, policemen, and they had guns with them, ak 47 and two of them stood at the back of the church, and they they closed the doors of the church, and the two others came to the front of the church, stood in front of the little congregation of about 50 people, and they cocked their guns, and then they said to those who are there, all those who will take a bullet for Christ, remain seated. The rest of you, leave. And there was a mad scramble towards the back door as people clumbered over one another, trying to get out of the door as quickly as possible. And when they had left, the two soldiers at the back closed the back doors again. They came up to the front and joined the two at the front. And then they said to the pastor, and just about four or five people left in the church, Pastor, now we can worship Christ. You see, my dear friends, The Christians had left, but the disciples remained. That's the difference between a Christian and a disciple. A disciple is someone who will take a bullet for Christ. A disciple is someone who will sacrifice his life for his Lord. A disciple is someone who will die for the cause of Christ. Someone who is willing to obey his master's call even if it means that he will lose everything. So turn to your neighbor, not the one you came with, not your wife or your husband, not the one you came with, but the one on the other side and ask them, are you a Christian or a disciple? I want to call you today to covenant, to live, a crucified life, the life of a disciple, to daily, increasingly die to self and live for Jesus. So I want to leave with a picture in your mind. I want to fixate it on your mind so that whenever you see this picture, you'd remember the three things I'm going to teach you about the crucified life. It's a picture of Jesus on the cross, okay? Three things about the crucified life. And the first of those is a crucified man or woman has died to self. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, in a new version that has just come out called the Passion uh, Translation, the TPTV Passion Translation, and they've just done the New Testament and the book of Psalms and I think a, a couple of chapters in Proverbs. So they're still rolling it out. But this is how it reads. And I love this about it because it tries to bring the truth of Scripture to us in everyday language in a way that we can easily grasp. And so I'm just discovering the joy of a new version. And this is the way it reads, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. My old identity has been co-crucified with the Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God, who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through to verse 26, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. And in essence, what he meant was this, carry your cross. And on that cross, daily sacrifice and crucify yourself. Crucify your dreams, crucify your desires, crucify your control over your own life, crucify your plans, your own plans, your self-centeredness, your opinions, your pursuits, your future. Crosses are for killing people and you must carry yours daily to crucify the old man in you. To crucify your old ways your old self-centeredness, your personal pursuits. Every day you wake up, the first thing you do is you surrender yourself to Christ again and you crucify the desire to live life your own way. If you want to be my disciple, you must give up your own way and take up my cross and follow me. A disciple is a crucified man or woman. And a crucified man is one who has died to self, who has laid down his own life, abandoned it, and has found new life in Christ. We, good people, are the walking dead. We are the dead men walking That's what Paul meant in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and verse 4. When he wrote and he said, don't you know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. That's what baptism is about. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. The aborigines in in Australia had a way that they would transition their children from childhood into adulthood, a rite of passage. And and you know, every culture around the world at one point or another used to have these. In many modern cultures, they have begun to disappear. But when you came to the end of childhood, then you were transitioned into adulthood, through the puberty rites. And the way that the Aborigines would do it is when they were transitioning these girls and these young men into adulthood, they would take them out into the wilderness and each one of the young people would dig a shallow grave, you know, just a foot down, a shallow grave symbolizing death. And they would go to the river, they would take white clay and they would cover their bodies with it because that for them was a sign of, you know, of death. That when you die, your blood drains out and you have this paley, whitey color that, that, you know, was a sign of death for them. And so they would coat themselves with white clay and then each one of them would come and lie in the little shallow grave that they had dug. And at the right time, the elders would come and they would call forth these young men and young women to rise up out of that grave because childhood had died in that grave and they were rising now into adulthood. That's what baptism is. That I have died with Christ when I was put into those waters and I have been raised up to a new life. Because we are the walking dead. Being crucified with Christ or being buried with Christ through baptism means I have died to the old ways and the old things of my life that ruled me. It means crucifying my old selfish desires the old human plans, the old self-centered goals, my old dreams for the comfortable life, and the old desire for security and safety as my ultimate goal. It means crucifying all the things the world tells me to live for, the cars, the houses, the wealth, the success, the power, the privilege, the comforts. I have crucified myself to those things. So how do we live the the crucified life? Well, Jesus gave the answer in in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you wants to be my followers, you must forget about yourself. You must take up your cross and each day follow me. If you want to save your life, you will destroy it. But if you give up your life for me, you will save it. What will you gain if you own the whole world but destroy yourself? And waste away your life. The crucified man or woman is dead to self. Here's the second lesson. Jesus on the cross. The crucified man or woman has no fear. You see, my dear friends, you could go to the local mortuary or the morgue at the hospital here, pull out one of those trays where they put dead men or women on, and you know, they're ice cold, and you could whip out a gun, and you could put it to the head of this person on this tray and tell them, do you know I can shoot you right here, right now, I could pull this trigger. Doesn't flinch. (laughs) And you could take a rod, a metal rod, and beat them and beat them and beat them and beat them. But they have no fear. You see, my dear friends, a dead man has no fear. Why? Because they have already died. Dead men are not afraid of being killed. Dead men are not afraid of being robbed. Dead men are not afraid of being beaten. Dead men are not afraid of threats. The only people who are afraid of these things are those who have something to protect. Something they treasure, something they own, something they don't want to lose. So may I suggest that for many, many people, they didn't really die in Christ. They only fainted. (laughs) And so the first sign of trouble or sacrifice or, you know, uh, of suffering, they wake up and they run because they were not really dead to self. They were not really dead in Christ. They want to live the safe and the comfortable life and not the crucified life. But when your greatest desire is to live the safe and comfortable life, you will not risk anything. You will not risk your time. You will not risk your your comfort. You will not risk your wealth. You will not risk your treasures for the things that move the heart of God. Listen to what Gary Hagan of the International Justice Mission says. Here is a choice that our Father wants us to understand as Christians. And I believe that this is a choice of our age. Do you want to be brave or safe? Because you cannot be both. Doing God's will in a fallen world is inherently dangerous. In fact, if following Jesus doesn't feel dangerous right now, you should probably pause and check to see whether it's actually Jesus you're following. Let me put that in layman's language, okay, so that we can understand this. If you haven't met the devil recently, you're probably walking in the same direction. Can you imagine if Jesus had said to God the Father in heaven, Father... I will do what you have asked me to go down to earth and to redeem mankind. But before I go, can I ask one question? And the father says, yes, my son, ask your question. And Jesus says, father, I I just wanted to ask, is it safe? And God the father would have had to say, no, my son, it is not safe for you to go to earth to redeem mankind. Because when you go, immediately you are born, men will come hunting for you. And many children will be killed as a result. And you will have to run away to Africa as a refugee. And when you return, there will be a whole institution dedicated to killing and removing you. And they will try to stone you. They will try to throw you over a cliff. They will shame you and ridicule you. And eventually, they will catch you. They will whip you. They will spit at you. And they will crucify you. Nails will be driven through the palms of your hand and you will die the most excruciatingly painful death known to mankind. No, my son, it is not safe for you to go, but will you go anyway? Jesus didn't play it safe. He lived the crucified life and he lived brave. The early disciples didn't play it safe either. They were imprisoned, they were beaten, they, they suffered for their faith, they, they, they were denied their rights, and yet never ever do you hear them praying in the book of Acts, anywhere in the book of Acts, oh, Father, it's too much, we can't bear this anymore, please remove the suffering, never. Their prayer is caught in Matthew, uh, sorry, in Acts chapter 9, four, Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak with greater boldness. If they persecute us, give us greater boldness in spite of the persecution. And if they raise the level of persecution, raise our level of courage so that we will not be silenced. We will speak no matter what it costs us. They live brave. They weren't playing safe. The apostle Paul himself did not play safe. He lived brave. Because in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 onwards, he, write, he writes and says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Forty times, five times, I have received the, from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from my own brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Paul didn't play it safe. He lived the crucified life and he lived brave. Brave means that I will obey my Lord no matter what the cost. Brave means taking a step of faith outside of my comfort zone. Brave means trusting God for the unknown. Brave means not demanding that we first know every detail of God's plan. I want to know how this plays out God, you know. So I do this and then what will happen next and what will happen next and then how is it going to end and will I, you know, end up in a better position than, than when I was here? Brave means that I don't need to know that. Brave means that God doesn't have to explain himself to me before he acts in my life, before he commands me and I agree to obey. Brave means that God doesn't have to ask my permission before he calls me to sacrifice and to suffering. He doesn't have to ask me. I gave my life to him. It is his to command as he wishes to. He doesn't have to ask me. Because you know what, guys? If God has to ask you for permission before he calls you to a difficult obedience, he is not God. You are. Because he has to ask for your permission. I don't want to serve a teeny weeny little God who is, you know, so small that he comes and says, oh, Oscar, I just need you to suffer for a little time, you know, just two days, please. Can I, can I just touch you with a little suffering? I don't want to serve a teeny weeny little God like that. He's not worthy of worship. I want to serve the God that the psalmist speaks about in Psalm 115 and verse 3 when he says, our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. He doesn't ask anyone for permission. He is God. That's the God I want to serve. And so, my dear friends, the crucified man has no fear. Because he has nothing to protect and to cling to. But here's the third lesson. The crucified man faces in one direction. Picture again that picture of Jesus on the cross. You know, he can only face in one direction as he is crucified. And the crucified man faces in one direction. David prayed for this in his own life in Psalm 86 and verse 11. When he said, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. One thing that I ask. Jesus taught his disciples in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. God wants people who look in one direction. But you know, guys, sometimes we're so busy making our own plans that we know we're no longer available to God for His plans. You know, we just don't have the time because our plans have no end. We no longer have time to pray. Because we're so busy running around fulfilling our plans. Isn't it amazing how even though we don't have time to pray, we don't have time to read the Bible and, you know, to have a quiet time on a daily basis, there is always enough time to watch that latest movie that we've been waiting for. There is always enough time to watch that, you know, TV, a serial, sitcom, whatever it is that we so enjoy. There is always time to go shopping. There is always time to have coffee with a friend. But there's never enough time to pray. Never enough time to read God's words. And our plans just keep growing and growing and crowding God out. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7 said, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, resolute, determined to do his will. Recently, I've been praying for my own life. And I prayed, Lord, I've served you now for 36 years since I accepted you as my Lord and Savior at the age of 22. And there's been no scandal over that time, no hidden life, no going back to Egypt and the old ways, the old things, please let me finish my life strong. And if you can see that a year, two years, three years down the road, there is sin and compromise ahead of me and that I will end up messing my life and my testimony. And please, Lord, if you can see that, take me home early. Before that time comes, don't let me shame your name. Give me an undivided heart. Help me to set my face like flint so that I may honor you. What does it take to do that? You wake up in the morning and you crucify yourself on the cross again. And you crucify your passions. And you crucify your dreams And your desire to go your own way and to make your own choices, to live life by your own rules. And then it leaves you free and open to God's plan for your life without my own plans interfering and getting in the way. You see, as Jesus hung on that cross, not only did he face in one direction, but he also had no future plans. You see, no, no person is ever buried. And as you bury them, you know, you're a spouse, you know, wife or husband. he's oh, by the way, darling, can I just put your, your diary and your journal in the grave with you? Just in case there are things you forgot to finish off, you know, before you passed away. And you might want to finish this off since now you have abundant time. No, but no, no dead man is ever buried with a, you know, with a plan and, you know, goals and targets that he has to finish off. As Jesus was being crucified on that cross, not only did he face in one direction, but he had no future plans. It is done. It is finished. Because I was crucified. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 8 puts it beautifully. Yes, Lord, we wait for you eagerly as we obey you. Above all, above all else, your name and your renown are the desires of our heart. We face in only one direction, to honor and glorify God. We have no plans for ourselves except the plan of God as he reveals it to us. Having put your hand to the plow, we do not turn back. Everything else in my life is secondary to the purposes of God. In this new version, the TPT, the, the, the Passion Translation, It renders Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 through verse 9 beautifully when it says this, Yet all the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I now forsake them, and I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Verse 8, To truly know him means letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boastings on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now, so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all his greatness. Verse 9, my passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness. The crucified man has no future plans and he faces in only one direction. So let me ask a couple of questions. And I want to begin by speaking to the missionaries who are with us here. This is a special week for you, and it's such a delight to have you back home. And I pray that you've been nourished and, you know, have loved coming back to this place that has loved on you and supported your work and, you know, gone with you, if only by their means to make it possible for you to accomplish the work that God has called you to. But are you living the crucified life? The obvious answer may seem to be yes, because you're a missionary. I mean, after all. But do you gripe and complain about the situation you're in, the hardships you face, the people you work with, the fact that this isn't home with the beauty of home, the things can be so disorderly in some parts of the world where you are, and everything is dirty, and you don't get the things you need to be able to hold life together, and you complain and you grumble, and it's not the crucified life. Or it may be, that you're so filled with the plans and programs of your ministry and the targets and the goals and the strategic planning that you have no time for God. No time for prayer. No time for the Word. Sometimes ministry can be the biggest distraction from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. We're so busy serving Him, we have no time for Him. Sometimes we are like Martha. Martha modern-day Marthas, instead of being like Mary. And let me read again from the, 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 the Passion Translation. It says of that passage in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through to verse 42, as Jesus and the disciples continued on the journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister called Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guest. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all this work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you so upset and troubled? Pulling away from, by all these many distractions. Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted and I won't take that privilege from her. But what about the rest of us who are part and parcel of this church? If I were to follow you around for a week, you know, you didn't know I was there, but I was there with pen and paper and I said, okay, 9.02 a.m., got up, sat down, listened to their favorite music, had a cup of coffee, 9.07 a.m., switched on the TV, watched the news, 9, 30 a.m., they picked up a novel they're reading. If I was to follow you for a week and see how you live out your life, Would I observe that you spend time with the Lord and you set aside time to pray? Would I see a life absolutely, totally devoted to Christ, a crucified life? Or would I see a life consumed with your plans and your passions and your shopping and your goals and your desires and all the things that you crowd your life with so that God is crowded out? Are you living the crucified life? Now, you know, we all know Presbyterians are wealthy. Isn't that true? Yes? Do I hear an amen? If I was to observe how you use the resources that God has allowed to run through your fingers, would I see generosity? Would I see sacrifice? Would I see that you have capped your spending? so that you can make so much more available for the work of missions, or would I see one self-absorbed? I'm getting the new S10, not because my S9 has a problem. And you know, this S10 is like 0.0002% more faster than the S9. Okay? Okay. but I'm getting an S10 because I have the means to get an S10. And in fact, you know what? Everybody seems to have an S10. So mine is going to be plated with gold and we'll have some few diamond studs in them. Only three or four people around the world have that sort of, you know, um, that, that, that sort of, 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 of phone. They're all in Arabia, I think, but anyway, you know, only three or four people have that sort of phone. And I belong to that class. Would I see... A crucified lifestyle, or would I see a consumption lifestyle that is living for self? And at a personal level, at an individual level, for those of us who are here, are you here today as a disciple, or are you here today as a Christian? A disciple is a crucified man or woman, a disciple is a dead man walking. A disciple has no fear. A disciple faces in only one direction, the direction of obedience and honoring God. My dear friends, I call you to live the crucified life. And I want to give you an opportunity because there may be those who are here today, you, you, you have a hunger in your heart for more of God, but you're not living the crucified life. And maybe as I've spoken, God has stirred your heart and you have that hunger, that passion. Lord, I want more. I, yes, I accepted you as my Lord and Savior, but isn't there more? I want more. And you can say yes. And it begins by taking up your cross and learning to crucify yourself. And if you're here today and that's a passion of your heart, I'm going to ask you to rise to your feet as we pray together and we'll pray over you. Let me talk to the missionaries who are here. Yes, it is possible for us to assume you guys are doing great. I mean, like, you are the heroes of the Christian faith. You are the giants. You know, what could we say to you? But sometimes we're serving and we're busy, but we're not living the crucified life. And maybe as I've spoken, you have thought, you know, Lord, I'm so busy running these plans, I never have time to spend with you and to pray. And I'm not living the crucified life. And you know that you can step up to the next level. And I want to give you a chance also to just make a covenant before the Lord and say, Lord, in going back from Cedar Springs to wherever the Lord has placed you, I want to go and live the, the crucified life at a deeper measure than I've done before. There may be some here What where living the crucified life is God saying to you, I want you to crucify your dreams. I want you to crucify your desire for material wealth and gain. I want you to crucify those things that you have talked with your friends about, how you're going to make rich, you're going to set up a business that is making tons of millions, and you're going to live in the best of places, you're going to travel the world, you're going to drive the best cars, you're going to have that S10 with you know gold studs, or rather gold-plated and diamond studs in it. I want you to give that up crucified on the cross and come and serve me in a humble way where you may never see any of those things, but it is the life I have called you to. And you're here and you know that God is saying, I want you to be the missionary who will sit here next year, the year after that, maybe five years time, because you crucified your dreams for the sake of the gospel. And if you're here today, I'm going to ask everybody else to just stand where they are as their sign of the fact that I'm I'm, I'm, I'm crucifying this old way, the things I have lived for that were not of Christ. I want to put them on the cross. I want a new beginning. I want to go deeper with God. But for you who God is calling to give up their lives to ministry, I want to invite you to come to the front and make a public statement. Let peers here see you. Let him follow you up because you stood at the front here. And so I'm going to invite my wife to come forward. And I'm not asking everybody to stand. I'm only asking you to stand if in your heart of hearts, you know that you want to start living a crucified life. And if that's you, then just rise to your feet. You may be with a friend, maybe a spouse, and they're going to ask questions later on. But guys, this is about you and the Lord. This isn't about them. And maybe what you do and the courage you show will help them to also stand and to follow Christ living the crucified life. But let me also invite those who God is calling into full-time ministry as a missionary, as a children's worker, maybe right here in Knoxville, maybe going into the United Arab Emirates or wherever it is that God might be sending you could I ask you to come to the frontier? And if you're up in the balcony and it just seems like a long way, we're going to start by just praying for everybody else. But if you could make your way down and be here as we turn to pray for those that God is calling into ministry in what we would otherwise call a full-time capacity, just come and stand here. Come to this place and allow us to pray with you. Just make your way. Don't be shy about this, guys. God is still in the business of calling people away from their dreams um, and calling them to sacrifice and calling them to give up their lives for the sake of the gospel. And if you're one of them and you know that God is doing that, just come to the front here. And as we pray together, make your way down here. And we will pray with you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Please come to the front for all those who need to
1: be up here. You held back nothing from us to make it possible for us to be your people, your children. You gave us everything without reserve, And this morning, in your mercy and grace, you continue to extend that special privilege and opportunity for us to respond to your love and to fill up our lives with so much more of you. Thank you that you can see every single life person that stands in your presence today. Thank you that you know their story, you know the details of their circumstance, and you know what it means for them today to say, I want more of God, I want to go deeper with the Lord. Thank you that you do not disappoint, that you meet us where we are, that you who began a good work in us, is carrying it on and will carry it on to the finish. That no life is too far removed from your saving grace, your transforming power, that you cannot fulfill that scripture. So, Father, touch every person standing in your presence today in a very real and personal way. Speak to them. Reassure them that your hand is over their lives. We commend them to you in the name of Jesus and ask that they would experience a deeper surrender, a deeper commitment to you, that they would die to themselves, that they would be willing day by day to live for you and for you alone. We remember the scripture of Romans 12:1 and two, that says in light of your generous grace that we should live as living sacrifices. Fulfill that word in and through each one of them. We commend them to you, Lord, and ask that your word would work powerfully to enable them to know what they need to do and to give them the grace to do it. Thank you for the role of the Holy Spirit who enables us not just to make good resolves, but to make good those resolves, who enables us to live as God's children. May there be grace actively at work in each one of their lives. Father, we want to thank you for the missionaries that today fellowship with us, who share their story. We pray that you may bless them. We know it's true that sometimes we can be so busy in ministry that we forget you. We pray for each one of them. We pray for their families. We pray for their special partners in ministry, that you would enable them to give you your rightful place, to keep you central. We thank you, Father, that you know their circumstance and you know how to enable them to live balanced lives. We commend them to you. We remember that it says in the Gospels, Jesus chose the twelve first to be with him and then to do ministry for him. May they truly be with you in a special way. May they know deeper refreshment and strength and grace from you as they follow you. But Father, we honor you for those who stand before you as a testimony that you're at work in their lives, that they've heard your voice inviting them to die to themselves, to surrender their plans, to surrender their ambitions, to surrender their careers, to surrender everything about themselves and be at your disposal to be sent out into the world. Thank you that they do this in the context of a church that loves you and that has committed to the Great Commission in very real and specific ways. Thank you that they will not lack the counsel and the support to enable them to make good their promise today. May your hand be upon them. May it please the Holy Spirit to lead them forward into a life of surrendered service to you. May you open up their plan, your plans for them so that they would comprehend what you've planned for each one of them. May your blueprint be clear to each one of them as they pursue you and commit to serve you in full-time ministry. Some are so young, we honor you that you're in the business of calling the young and the old alike. We commit them to you. We ask that they may stay steady on the cause, living surrendered lives, and that you would lead them to where you want them to go. May thousands of people be brought to Christ because of the commitment they have made this morning. May this church rejoice over what you will do in their lives as they pursue the call that you have extended to them through your grace today. So we commend them to you. We commend to you, this church, and the leadership of this church, and ask that they may know the grace and the encouragement of God. We pray for this congregation as they trust you for their lead pastor. Bring the right man and woman to them, Father, who will carry on this work, who will enable this church to remain com- committed to the heartbeat of God in every way. So we bless them and we know you will do abundantly more than what we can think, ask, or imagine this morning, because we have prayed in the powerful and the eternal name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen.